This archived broadcast of Janet Mefford Today is brought to you by Affirm Films' Show Me the Father. The creators of War Room and Courageous, the Kendrick Brothers, explore fatherhood through five true stories. Show Me the Father, rated PG. Parental guidance suggested in theaters September 10th. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. We really needed some good news this week, didn't we? And we got some out of the state of Texas. This is just an incredible thing because they have passed this law back in May, a heartbeat law that was to take effect yesterday and did, despite the efforts of the ACLU and Planned Parenthood, et cetera, et cetera, to try to get it stopped by the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court did not step in to stop it. And so it took effect. And boy, are the pro-abortion folks going berserk, not the least of which was good old President Joe Biden. He blasted the Texas state law CNN reports banning abortion after as early as six weeks into pregnancy. Well, that's the, the, the period of time when you hear the baby's heartbeat and it can be detected. Called it extreme, said it blatantly violates a woman's constitutional right to have an abortion. Where is that in the Constitution? Today, Texas law SB 8 went into effect. He said yesterday this extreme Texas law blatantly violates the constitutional right established under Roe and upheld as precedent for nearly half a century. The Texas law will significantly impair women's access to the health care they need. Killing your child is not health care. You know, it's like a breakdown of propaganda line by line, particularly, he said, for communities of color and individuals with low incomes and outrageously it deputizes private citizens to bring lawsuits against anyone who they believe has helped another person get an abortion, which might even include family members, health care workers, front desk staff at a health care clinic or strangers with no connections to the individual. Right. That's the beauty of this law. It deputizes private citizens to be able to sue abortionists who violate the law. I think it's brilliant. Biden said his administration was deeply committed to a woman's right to have an abortion. The first thing I was thinking about is the fact that you have Planned Parenthood all over this country having built these huge abortion mills in these areas where there are, you know, the majority of the population are minority because they're targeting women of color. They're going after women of color to get more blood money. That's why they're there. And so, of course, you have Planned Parenthood going berserk because things are not going well for them on a number of fronts. And they know that the direction of the country is moving away from the old feminists and their ideas that if you just go in and get rid of that tissue, everything is solved. And we know a lot more now. We know a lot more science and we have had our moral compasses turned on more and more and more over the years because of the work, hard work of a lot of pro-life leaders. Now, I want to go back to when Texas Governor Greg Abbott signed this measure into law. This was back in May, now having taken effect officially yesterday. This is what he said at the time. Cut one. Our creator endowed us with the right to life. And yet millions of children lose their right to life every year because of abortion. In Texas, we work to save those lives. And that's exactly what the Texas legislature did this session. They worked together on a bipartisan basis to pass a bill that I'm about to sign that ensures that the life of every unborn child who has a heartbeat 
will be saved from the ravages of abortion. All right. Excellent. Now, this is how it was reported yesterday on ABC News with George Stephanopoulos. Listen to how this was reported and handled. Cut to. The state's controversial law banning most abortions has now taken effect after the Supreme Court took no action, at least not yet, to hold it off. Our congressional correspondent, Rachel Scott, is tracking the story. Good morning, Rachel. George, good morning. This is one of the strictest bans on abortion in the country, and it goes into effect in the state of Texas starting today. Back in May, Texas Governor Greg Abbott signed this measure into law. It bans abortions as early as six weeks into pregnancy. That is before most women even know that they are pregnant. The Supreme Court had until May midnight to respond to an emergency request to block this before it went into effect, but they have not yet taken any action. In the state of Texas, 85 to 90 percent of women get abortions within their first six weeks of pregnancy. And so without any further action, this will ban nearly all of the abortions in the state, George. Praise the Lord. That's exactly why it's so great is because some 85% of the abortions that were performed in 2020 in the state of Texas were performed after that six-week mark. Think of the tens of thousands of lives that will be saved. It is tremendous. And I am so proud of my adopted state of Texas for having gone down this road. I'm just so delighted that we're going to have this big court case coming up before the Supreme Court out of Mississippi. We are making a lot of progress. Continue to pray that we will move forward in more and more and more pro-life victories until the day when abortion remains illegal. And and that's where we need to go back to. That's We never, ever should have legalized abortion in the first place. And apparently, from what I understand, there's not a rape or incest exception, but there is a woman's life in danger exception in this particular legislation. There are always tweaks and there are always things that we have further to do until we can completely outlaw abortion. But I'm grateful for every step along the way. And this was a big one. So praise the Lord. Now, let's talk a little bit about Joe Biden. I have to get this in because I'm going to be talking to the founder of SAT7, the media ministry in the Middle East, about the situation with Christians in Afghanistan. So I want to talk a little bit about Afghanistan before we lose a little time and have to go into the next break. But this is very interesting. This just came out via Media Research Center Latino. And one of the writers there posted an interview of Pardo Moro. This is actually the former Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Western Hemisphere Affairs. That's quite a title. Roger Pardo Moro, who dropped some incredible information during an interview. Red State reported on this. And he said that the Department of Defense had foreknowledge of the Kabul bomber who killed our guys, killed our troops, and denied permission to fire to the Predator drone that had a lock on the bomber. Now, this is an allegation, but this is a pretty good source, I would say. Somebody who was the former Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for the Western Hemisphere. This isn't Joe walking down the street one day in Toledo offering his opinions on what probably happened. This is somebody who has gravitas, as we like to say. That's a pretty big bombshell, if true, that the United States knew about the Kabul bomber and had a drone lock but didn't take the shot because they didn't want to bug the Taliban. They were trying to do negotiations with the Taliban, and so they didn't want to cause any further problems. If this is actually true, this is this story just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. So that's via MRC and Red State. Then you have the story in the New York Post and lots of other places 
And this is, you, you got to believe these are deep state leaks. There are people who want Biden out who may have stood with him at one time, but they want him out now. This is the headline at the New York Post. Biden pressured Ghani to create the perception that the Taliban weren't winning. Unbelievable. President Biden pressured Afghanistan President Ashraf Ghani to create the perception that the Taliban weren't winning, quote, whether it's true or not. In a phone call just three weeks before the insurgents seized control of the country. This is from a bombshell leaked transcript that has come out. Wow, this sounds somebody was saying this. I think that I I can't remember who this was saying this sounds a little quid pro quo to me. Wasn't it the case that President Trump was in trouble for a call to the Ukrainian president that turned out to be a big nothing? But in fact, it was Joe Biden on tape who really did do a quid pro quo. Uh, He still hasn't paid the piper on that one. But in this case, Biden and Ghani spoke for roughly 14 minutes on July 23rd in what would be their final call before the Taliban overran the government and Afghanistan descended into bloody chaos amid the botched U.S. withdrawal. Much of the call was focused on what Biden referred to as the Afghan government's perception issue. And he said, I need not tell you the perception around the world and in parts of Afghanistan, I believe, is that things are not going well in terms of the fight against the Taliban. And there is a need, whether it is true or not, there is a need to project a different picture. Boy, this guy, as much as you know about him out in public, behind closed doors, he's coming across his way worse. And there needs to be really solid focus on these leaks and checking them out. And he absolutely needs to be impeached. He needs to resign or be impeached. I don't want Kamala as president, but this is unbelievable. We're going to keep an eye out on this particular story. This hour chain of effort today is brought to you by a firm film. Show me the father from the Kendrick brothers, the creators of war room and courageous explore fatherhood through five true stories. Show me the father rated PG in theaters, September 10th. And we'll be back after this. Ask yourself, what do you pay for health care? Are you single? Do you pay more than $199 a month? Are you a couple? Do you pay more than $299 a month? Do you have a family? Do you pay more than $399 a month? Yes, you can serve the entire family with health care for only $399 a month with Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals. Sign up at any time of the year. Pick your own doctor and hospital. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Or call now, 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561 or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mefford for Bible League International. Aria lives in the Middle East in a radical Muslim family. She accepted the invitation of a Christian friend to attend a weekly Bible study and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. She took her Bible study booklet home, hiding it in her room before her mother found it and gave it to her father. He severely beat young Aria and called the authorities to report her as an infidel. They took her to a remote cell where they assaulted her and the Christian friend before letting them go. These two women didn't grow bitter. They grew bold and together they've seen hundreds come to Christ 
Christ in the Middle East, where Christians are urged to support new believers. You suddenly realize how critical it is for Christians not just to assume God will look after their brothers and sisters who have converted from Islam, but that they will be prepared to walk with them. Help send God's word to believers like Aria. One Bible is only $5, and a limited time match will double your gift. Call 800 Yes Word, 800 Y E S W O R D, or there's a Bible League banner at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford today, and now here's your host, Janet Mefford. Welcome back. We have been hearing a lot about the Americans who have been stranded in Afghanistan following the Biden administration's disastrous handling of that withdrawal. But what is life like right now for Christians in that country who are now fearing terror and execution at the hands of the Taliban? Well, joining me now is Dr. Terry Ascott. He is founder and president of the media ministry SAT7, the first Arabic language and later Farsi and Turkish Christian satellite TV channels. And he has spent a half century in the Middle East doing ministry. He's also author of Dare to Believe, Stories of Faith from the Middle East, and we're going to find out more now from him. Terry, just wonderful to have you with us. Thank you so much, Anne. Thank you. I know Sat7 has been asking for urgent prayer for Christians in Afghanistan. What can you tell us about the situation for believers in that country right now? What are you hearing? Well, I mean, we do hear anecdotally some horrible stories of, you know, people being summary executed or abducted or so on. But I think it's really important that we see the big context. Afghanistan is a patchwork of, or it was a patchwork of uh, tribal leaders. Um, Even the Taliban, or especially I should say the Taliban itself is not a unified force. You've got all kinds of factions, uh, independent leaders across the country. And so it's very hard to generalize about the situation of Afghans or, or of Christians uh, in the country because it just depends on which Taliban leaders in charge of which area, um, and that determines what kind of policy they have towards the treatment of those associated with the West, those who are Christians, the treatment of women and girls. It's very arbitrary. And, and very inconsistent. So while we hear some nice words from, you know, the Taliban spokesman in Kabul, uh, there's certainly no homogeneous application of any rules at the moment across the country. Right. So there was a lot that's unknown at the moment. Well, I know our State Department has reported the last public Christian church in Afghanistan was raised back in 2010. Is it the case that Christianity is fully underground over there in Afghanistan at the moment? I'd have to say yes, um, but that's um, not to, if you like, underestimate the number of believers that there are in the country. I mean, nobody really knows that you can't do a proper poll, but it's estimated by some of the people that know about the situation on the ground that there's at least 8,000 believers from a Muslim background, obviously, in the country at the moment. Wow. Well, and I know Sat7 has been able to do some incredible ministry. What sorts of ministry have you been able to accomplish in Afghanistan and the broader Middle East? Because we hear so many stories about how more and more people of a Muslim background are coming to know Jesus Christ and are really excited about knowing the Lord for the first time because of the oppressive regimes under which they were raised and under which they live. Uh, Yeah, you've made a good point there. The more oppressive the regime, the more people are reacting against it. So if you look at the big 
theocracies, if you like, of the Middle East, Iran, um, you've got uh, Turkey to a lesser extent. It's a democracy, but with a definite theistic agenda. You've got Saudi Arabia that's uh, really a theocracy, and certainly um, now we've got one in Afghanistan. But it's those countries that have been the most oppressive and, and trying to impose Islam on the population that where we've seen the church growing the fastest. In fact, Iran uh, is the fastest, has the fastest growing church um, that we know of in the world today. Mm. And, uh, you know, even independent secular surveys have flagged up over uh, 1.3 million Christians now in the country. Wow. Um, and at least 1 million of these would be converts. And these are self-identifying people who are not necessarily those who secretly believe and would not admit it to people in the survey. So it's a very exciting situation in a way. And God can take and use the tragedy of Afghanistan to his glory. Right. I mean, and we have, we have to remember that it's not just Christians in Afghanistan that are suffering. There's millions of people that are actually on the verge of starvation that are living, I think, 70% of the population in Afghanistan at the present time are living below the official poverty level. Oh, my. And so the needs are huge. And the Taliban have got no history in governing. They're running medical services, of transportation, banking, uh, foreign exchange. All, all the sort of pillars and instruments of government are new to them. And I really do worry for the whole future of the country. Well, right. And yet, as you just noted, when you have oppressive Islamic regimes like in Iran, then you have an opportunity for ministry. God opens doors in some of those dark places. What do you foresee might be some opportunities for you ministry-wise, given the turmoil in Afghanistan, while we pray for those dear people who are trapped there and, and the horrible situation they're in? We know the Lord can use that kind of situation to bring people to himself. What what sorts of opportunities do you see perhaps coming out of this situation? Well, I suppose if you look across the Middle East, even from the days of the Arab Spring, um, Islam has discredited itself whenever it gets into a position of power and it's turned people away from religion rather than, you know, built an Islamic republic like in Iran. And I'm, I'm going to speculate that once the Taliban have established their rule in the country, that there's going to be, again, a turning away from a rejection of Islam because of the abuse that's being meted out to individuals in the name of Islam. Um, it's very sad, but the, the, what will attract people to Christ in this situation is the hope and the unprecedented teachings of Jesus about love, about forgiveness, about turning the other cheek. These are so alien to a fundamentalist Islamic regime. Um, and this mentality that prevails across the Middle East of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So it is, it, the, the teachings of Jesus stand out so much in contrast to all this hatred and anger and killing where you've got Muslims killing other Muslims because they're not Sunni or they're not Shia or they're this or that or this ethnic group or they're considered to be heretics in, when they see this going on. And they look for something that brings hope and has meaning and resonates with them when you use the word God. And certainly the teachings of Christ are profound and, oh, and right. radical in, 
this situation. Well, right. And I, I know you guys have aired a program. You've had some emergency prayer programming. You had an August 17th program called Prayer for Afghanistan. How are you encouraging believers to lift up those Christians in Afghanistan and those who don't yet know Jesus Christ who are living in Afghanistan? How should we be praying for them right now? I think pray for the work of the Holy Spirit. We don't convert anybody. We say, as a broadcaster and as an internet provider, we make the gospel available to everybody. And I, I believe that's a human right, that everyone should hear the gospel at least once in their own lifetime, you know, in their own language, without foreign cultural baggage. So our job is to make the gospel available. Our prayers should be that the Holy Spirit takes these words catches people at a time in their life when they're really searching and speaks to them. And God is speaking to individuals right across this region through visions, through dreams, affirming what they believe through the broadcasts, uh, leading them to call our telephone counseling centers and get the kind of follow-up help to make that commitment to Christ that will change their lives. So pray that the Holy Spirit will work in individual lives as they Hear our broadcasts, see our television programs. Some of them are specifically done by Afghans for Afghanistan. Uh, even the Afghans understand most of the, the um, Persian broadcasts aimed at Iran because of the commonality of the language, Dari and Farsi. <laughs> so pray God will continue to work in individual lives through his Holy Spirit. Well, we will certainly do that. We have also heard about rescue efforts to get Christians out of the country. I know there have been reports here in the United States about some of those efforts. Is there anything you can tell us about what you've heard concerning the status of those attempted efforts? I know in some regard, if those are going on, we don't want to talk about it too openly, obviously. But is there any kind of mobilized rescue effort that you've been attuned into, heard about, or know anything about? No, um, only individual cases. Um, and usually it's not because they're a Christian, but because they've been associated with the foreign government. They've been working with foreigners and they therefore they're considered to be at risk. Um, but I mean, if you look at 8,000 converts and their families across the region, there's no no strategy to hmm. remove them. And in one sense, in the wisdom of God, this is a great opportunity for them to be uh, the hands, the feet, the mouth of Christ in this difficult situation at this time. Right. So evacuation of Afghans, uh, converts, is not really, in my humble opinion, a strategy that we would want to encourage unless they were in particular specific danger and we were able <clears throat> to get them out of the country, which is a whole other story. Yeah. Well, that that's an interesting point because I've heard similar stories that even in the wake of the Syrian civil war, for example, it doesn't necessarily mean that all the Syrian Christians don't want to, you know, go. it doesn't mean that they don't want to be in Syria, ultimately, even if they are refugees for a time, that they want to go home and, and oh, as new Christians. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's right. And... Um, it's an opportunity. I mean, we had the same thing in the with the Arab uprisings. Many Christians left countries like Egypt, but others said we are we are called to work and witness and, and to our own people, and this is a great opportunity, an unprecedented opportunity. People are so open to hear the gospel. We're just wonderfully proud to stay and and witness for Christ. Yes. So yeah, it's it's a terrible situation, but it's also one of those situations that offers 
great opportunities for the church. Well, very good. Well, Terry Ascot from Sat7, Dare to Believe is his book. Terry, keep up the good work. Thank you so much for the update. Okay, wonderful to be with you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. God bless you. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. This archived broadcast of Janet Mefford Today is brought to you by Affirm Films' Show Me the Father. The creators of War Room and Courageous, the Kendrick brothers, explore fatherhood through five true stories. Show Me the Father, rated PG. Parental guidance suggested in theaters September 10th. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. It's often noted that one of the most common objections to the existence of God is the problem of suffering in the world. And for many of us, that suffering comes in the form of a disability, either ours or one that has occurred in the life of somebody we love. What are we to think about God's purposes in disabilities? It's a really important question. And joining me now is Paul Touches, who is senior pastor of Cornerstone Community Church in Mayfield Heights, Ohio, biblical counselor and writer and or editor of more than 50 books. Today we'll be talking about his latest book to which Johnny Erickson Tata also contributes. It's called When Disability Hits Home, How God Magnifies His Grace in Our Weakness and Suffering. Paul, great to have you here again. How are you? Oh, doing wonderful, Janet. It's always a blessing to be on your show. Well, thank you for being here. You know, I have to say this subject hits home for me. We have a son with a physical disability. You have children, Mm -hmm. I understand, who have hearing impairment. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about your family's experience with disability. Yes, we've had, we've been walking it for about 30 years now um, in different ways, but the primary way is through hearing impairment. And then one of our daughters, in addition to her uh, deafness, she was born almost fully deaf. Um, she's also cognitively impaired and um, on the autism uh, spectrum as well. So mm-hmm. we had been walking this road for most of our married life. And um, God has been teaching us and continues to teach us. Uh, more and more about his grace and glory uh, along the way. Yeah, well, so many people comment on the fact that when you're thrown a loop like that, it can really throw you off your game and sometimes ask questions about why, Lord, and we never really get a full answer, obviously, on this earth as to why God would allow something to happen in the womb, say, whether it's Down syndrome or cerebral palsy or even something that occurred, a disability that occurred from an accident. What would you see some of the challenges were for you just to as a dad, as a Christian, as a pastor, dealing with that issue in your own family? Because it's one thing to preach to other people about it, and it's another thing to live it out. I would say um, one, of the, one of the biggest challenges for me was as a husband to minister um, to my wife, because she, she began to blame herself. She yeah. began to realize, okay, there's, there's a pattern here. Um, there's a genetic pattern here, something's wrong with me. And especially when Katie came along and she had multiple um, disabilities, she began to wonder, uh, Lord, is this my fault? Um, Have I done something wrong? Have I not been faithful enough? Um, And so not just, you know, accepting um, these as gifts from a good, wise, sovereign God, but the the feeling of inadequacy was huge for me. 
Um, am I adequate for this? Um, am I adequate to lead my wife um, and my kids in a way that honors God and glorifies Him? And that's an okay question if it drives us immediately then back to um, the obvious answer, which is, no, I'm not adequate. <laughs> but in Christ, I am adequate. Um, yeah, I, I, so I was driven to that verse in, in um, Corinthians where, you know, Paul says, who is adequate for these things? Yeah. Um, implied answer, nobody is, but Christ is our adequacy. So I would say for me, that was probably the biggest issue. Yeah, that's a tough one. And the, the, the temptation, I think, to blame somebody, whether it's yourself or your spouse or the doctor or what have you, can be very strong because you're trying to deal with something that's very, very emotionally hard. But something else you mentioned, which I think is very interesting, is this temptation to remake God in our image. This is one of the temptations you mentioned yeah. that exist when you're coping with disability. What are you talking about there, the temptation to remake God in your image? Well, we, we don't like things that we cannot understand um, and that we cannot control. And I think that we are often placed in situations where um, we are tempted to change our view of God to fit our circumstances. In other, instead of saying, okay, now, how do I need to interpret my circumstances in light of what I know about God, which then allows room for mystery. Hmm. I think I think we're we're struggling in this day and age with letting there remain a level of mystery in the Christian life and in our understanding of God. Yeah. That that God does things for his own reasons and um, I've often run back to Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. Yep. Um, so there are some things that belong to the Lord our God, but the things that He has revealed to us belong to us and to our children forever. So w- once we start to realize that, you know what, there's enough on my plate to think about in just the responsibilities that God has given me to walk faithfully with him, I don't need to also try to figure out the things that are a mystery. Um, Because we're called to walk by faith and not by sight. That's it. So I think it's it's just a strong temptation, instead of submitting our circumstances to the mysterious working of God's providence, we're tempted to then reshape God so he fits our circumstances so that we still feel like we're in control. Yeah, that's a really good insight. And and that was a great verse to cite that the secret things belong to the Lord our God. You know what I thought of was 1 Corinthians 13, 12, where it says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully just as I also have been fully known. We are not meant to know everything, all the mysteries of God, nor will he tell us. I mean, the book of Job lays that out very plainly as well. Yeah nor do I think we could even handle them. Right, right. You know, if he would reveal them to us, I think it would it just would blow our circuits. I agree. I agree. It's better not to know. Well, and you mentioned God's providence. When we talk about God's control over all things, his providential hand, how do we explain disabilities without making the grave theological error of attributing evil to God or something sinful to God, which obviously is impossible? 
Yeah. Well, that's where, you know, I run back to Scripture, and I, I think of um, some of the narrative portions of Scripture have been really, really helpful. Um, I spend a whole chapter on the life of Joseph because that uh, the working of God's providence through the life of Joseph helped me immensely. Um, and as a husband, as a father, but also even as a pastor during very difficult times in in the ministry to realize that God is up to something good no matter what man is up to. Hmm. So no matter, you know, what um, we may bring upon ourselves, you know, or, or whatever, you know, just living in a fallen world is brought, is brought into our life, God is in the mystery of his providence working all things together for good. And, and what we see in the life of Joseph is that his brothers meant him harm. So Scripture doesn't excuse their guilt. Um, but in the end, God all along was meaning it for good. And then I think the thing that helped me the most was to see that throughout the life of Joseph, interspersed through those um, 11 chapters that, that close the book of Genesis, we see this repeated phrase, and the Lord was with Joseph. Right, right. And the Lord was with Joseph. Just that reminder. And I think that's what God wants us to remember. Um, we don't have to understand everything. Um, we need to realize that He has promised to never leave us and never forsake us, and somehow, in the mystery of His um, amazing grace and providence, He brings good out of things that we we would never imagine. Amen. That's so well said. And and when you consider what the Bible has to say about sharing in the fellowship of sufferings of Christ, this is another angle I want to get into, but we do need to pause for a short break. Paul Touch is with us when Disability Hits Home is his book. And we'll come back to the discussion after this on Janet Meffer Today. From Affirm Films comes the Kendrick Brothers' Show Me the Father. The creators of War Room and Courageous take moviegoers on a cinematic journey that invites you to think differently about your earthly father and how you relate to God through five true stories. I'm stunned. He's real. He's really out there. And this is really him. This is really him. Show Me the Father. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. In theater September 10th. More information is available at showmethefathermovie.com. When a young woman in crisis walks into a preborn pregnancy center, she's on a journey, and the Ministry of Preborn is there to help her bring her journey to life. Her name's Journey. She is the little peanut in my stomach. I'm glad I made the decision to keep her, even though it's life-changing, but it definitely changed my life for the best. 
Preborn offers free ultrasounds to women in crisis at pregnancy centers nationwide. Because when a mom in crisis sees her baby on ultrasound, she's more likely to choose life for her baby. In fact, 8 out of 10 women will choose life if they see their babies on ultrasound. Would you join Preborn in the cause for life? For $140, you can sponsor 5 ultrasounds. All gifts are tax deductible, and 100% of your sponsorship goes to saving babies. To donate, call 855-402-BABY. 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Your love can save a life. If you're looking for adventure, serving as a volunteer on the Mercy Ship is an adventure like no other. And you'll be serving on the largest non-governmental hospital ship in the world, providing free care to some of the world's poorest people. Whether it's performing a surgery, cleaning the deck, or transporting a patient to a recovery center, every day you'll be making a difference in the lives of struggling people. Begin your adventure today. Connect with us at mercyships.org. It's an adventure of a lifetime. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. Well, there are a whole lot of us, I'm sure, a lot of people listening right now who have experienced disability, whether or not it's you who has the disability or somebody you love. Maybe it's your child. Maybe it's your aging parent who had a stroke. There are all kinds of things that can hit families and and friends as well, people you know very, very well who are suffering from something and you just don't understand it and you're trying to get your head around it and also be biblical. Well, Paul Touches is with us and just has a wonderful book about it. It's called When Disability Hits Home, How God Magnifies His Grace in Our Weakness and Suffering. And, you know, it's interesting when you're talking about keeping your focus on the Lord through all of this, Paul, you say to remember, for example, that God is in the primary position even if disability results from the harmful actions of others. Because there are some situations where the disability was someone else's fault. Maybe it was a car accident caused by a sure. drunk drunk driver, you know, and you're dealing with the after effects of a disabled son, maybe, who was injured in that car crash, and it was somebody's fault. How do you help that person remember it is the fault of the person who was charged with drunken driving for having hit your son but God is still in charge. How does that become a comfort? How does that actually work itself out in somebody's heart in a way that will touch them? How do you deal with someone in that position? That's where, again, I go back to the scriptures and I, and I highlight the honesty of the scriptures. Um, I think that's why we, we love the scriptures so much is that they don't paint a false picture of reality. Right. They show life as it really is. And even in the life of Joseph, at the end of his life, um, when it's made clear that God was up to something really, really amazing, he was, he was going to save the nation of Israel through Joseph's leadership. But it was Joseph's sufferings that, was go- that were going to bring Joseph to that position of leadership. And the suffering was going to be caused by the sinfulness of his brothers. And so scripture, when it says that God has a glorious purpose and a glorious plan, it does not then excuse the evil uh, that, that man is responsible for and that God in his own way, in his own time, 
will take care of because he's the God of justice. And so that's where I try and help people to see that, okay, God is the God of justice, and he'll take care of that. Our responsibility is now to humbly respond in faith to the, the wonderful reality that in and through it all, he was still in control. Yep. And in and through it all, he was wanting to accomplish something for his glory and for our good that wasn't able to be accomplished any other way. That's right. Um, and so that's, that's, I think, a real comfort to people, especially if, if their disability was caused by the sinfulness uh, of another person, like, like you said, a drunk driving accident or um, perhaps even an abusive situation or something, yep. to know that God's justice will be satisfied, and ultimately it was satisfied uh, at the cross yes. uh, when, when the Lord Jesus died for our sins. And, so, and, and then even though for sins that have not been uh, recognized and repented of, there's judgment that God will take care of someday. And so we need to rest in, in the reliable, faithful character of God. So that's where I try and take people back to the character of God. Yeah, well, you have to. And that's such an important reminder. It's so simple, I almost feel dumb for reiterating it, but I need to hear it every single day, which is that the Lord wants us to trust him. There's a reason that we are to walk by faith and not by sight. And yet we still want to know everything, you know, part the heavens, Lord, and show me your entire plan and explain it to me. That's never worked. It never will work. And and it's funny that even if you've been a Christian for years, you still keep making that mistake sometimes and wanting God to explain things that he has no intention of explaining. Right. And that makes it hard, but yep. And I think, too, you know, as believers, we have to remember God's big goal uh, of remaking us into the image of Christ. Yeah. And, and that means that, that in order to really know Christ, as Paul says in Philippians 3.10, we need to share in the fellowship of the sufferings. Yes. And, and what that means then is there, there are some aspects to our sanctification that can only be accomplished through the fires of suffering. That's right. Um, and those fires are going to look different for each and every one of us, but the comfort is that the same God of all comfort, uh, who comforts us in our times of affliction, is equipping us to be like Christ and then to minister to others. That's true. That's right. You know, I'm wondering what your thoughts are on the situation where you have someone who's disabled and how God uses that, not just in the life of maybe the Christian who has the disability, but in the lives of the people who are in intimate contact with that person. For example, you think of Ken Tata, who has been caring for Johnny for all Mm. of these years faithfully, or you think of families who take care of a loved one who had a stroke for years and is paralyzed or, you know, this these sorts of circumstances can sanctify have a big sanctifying effect on Christians who are involved in the life of the person who's disabled. I'm wondering what your reflections are on that angle. Oh yes, for sure. I mean, just that it's a test every day of uh, humility. It's it's a confrontation. I think it's a gentle confrontation of our pride. Will we will we be a servant of all? Will we serve others? Will we love others more than we love ourselves? 
Um, and, and I think it's that's a I think that's a battle for every believer, but it's it's more in your face on a regular basis for people who live with people afflicted with disabilities. Right. And and so more and more there's this um, you're faced with the reality of looking at yourself in the mirror and and having to say, Lord, I want to be a servant like Jesus was. And and so slay my pride and, and do what you have to do to teach me to be the servant of all. Yeah, that's great. You had cited in your book, Paul, one of my very favorite passages from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and I'm starting in verse 8, although 7 through 11 is the passage, but in verse 8, everybody will know this passage. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. So we're being given over to death for Jesus' sake so the life of Jesus obviously may be manifested in our mortal flesh. What do you think the Lord is trying to tell us in that passage about his purposes in suffering? Yeah, I think that what he is saying is that the gospel is manifested through the suffering of believers. I think it's similar to what Paul says in Colossians 1 where he says that um, his suffering was leading to you know, more impact for the gospel. So as we are driven, uh, as we are beaten down through our sufferings, we are, our sufferings draw attention to the sufferings of Christ, but they don't, it doesn't stop there. The sufferings of Christ then naturally lead us to the victory, to the resurrection, to the victory in Christ. And so it's an it's a prime opportunity for gospel proclamation. That's true, and and that's how God uses us as those vessels uh, of clay, um, where we are the where the glory of Christ is being manifested through our weakness. It that sure he's is the one who is still alive today. He's raised to new life, and uh, the world needs to see that. Well, that's such a great point, and it goes along with it. the other thing that you've said about weakness is a platform for greater grace. Boy, is that true. In our weakness, he is strong. And it's one thing to read that on a little card in the morning during your devotional. It's another thing to live it out all day long. But it does change you. It's just not necessarily evident today when you're having a tough day dealing with a disability. But 10 years from now, you can reflect back and say, boy, the Lord worked in such incredible ways through this terrible suffering that my loved one went through and I went through. Uh, we just have to trust the Lord. I, I really have to commend to people your book, Paul. It's called When Disability Hits Home, How God Magnifies His Grace in Our Weakness and Suffering. Such a needed tool for people who are in these circumstances. Paul Touch is with us and always good to talk to you, Paul. Thank you so much for your book and for being with us again. Just wonderful to have you here. Oh, thanks again, Janet. Always a, always a joy. Oh, thank you again. God bless you and your whole family. Appreciate your ministry. Thank you for being with us here on Janet Mefford Today, and we will see you next time. This hour of Janet Mefford Today is brought to you by Affirm Films Show Me the Father. The creators of War Room and Courageous, the Kendrick Brothers, explore fatherhood through five true stories. Show Me the Father, rated PG, parental guidance suggested in theaters September 10th.